You are listening to Boku No Stop, an anime podcast. We should clap. Hey, that's a good call. That went the informational route, and I went the annoying route. Listening to Boku No Stop, an anime podcast that would absolutely set a cop car on fire. Hell I'm yeah. your host, Fletcher Arnett, <laughs> and with me is Chris. Matt. And uh, today we're talking uh, about Cyborg 009, the Cyborg Soldier episode. An extremely this weekend podcast. Yeah. It has been less than twelve hours since my city burned down two banks. Hell yeah. Well, yep, all I'm saying mm-hmm. is that uh, the Bureau of Student Loans is in Minneapolis. You know what to do. Yep. I'm very glad that when people started getting rowdy, they knew exactly who the first against the wall should be. <laughs> this but is going to age amazingly well. Pretty well into a history Fuck of... Fuck you, Matt! The- <laughs> Our LST Lightning Returns is like a time capsule of memes that were relevant six months before the episodes came out. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's it's uh, fascinating. Uh, I got DM'd to about, go over editing. I got DM'd about that classic uh, time in history of the IGN plagiarism guy. <laughs> oh, that's right, uh, dude! It's gonna be like this season has been the most uh, like record time directly to release time that it's been in a while, and it's kind of it's kind of funny. Uh, I'm definitely saying I'm glad we pre-record these for a little bit of buffer, just in case uh, one or more co-hosts gets arrested. <sighs> Spoilers, so, it's probably not going to be me. It would have been incredible if I got arrested for violating curfew to go get Thai food literally next door to my house. You're white, you wouldn't have been arrested. It's fine. <laughs> oh, I was in a bathrobe. I did look like I was poor. Mmm, point. So speaking uh. of being poor, let's talk about Shotaro Ishinomori, the creator of Cyborg 009. 100%, whether you know his name or not, if you are remotely weeb adjacent and know your history prior to 2000, you know something the guy touched. He was an assistant to Osamu Tezuka from his teens onwards and is credited as an artist in a few of the Astro Boy reprints. Which is kind He's of why guy. it looks like that, I guess. Uh, yeah, he very much took after Tezuka's style and went with big, broad caricatures for his characters. Yeah, broad is a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's there's some notes about that, don't worry. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Uh, he's the guy who originated Kamen Rider, Super Sentai, and basically every 70s tokusatsu series not named Ultraman. 
if you grew up reading Nintendo Power in the U.S., he was one of the artists who would draw their comics, including a Link to the Past adaptation that is currently in a collection under his name with Nintendo's blessing. When Ishinomori died in 1998, he had such a massive body of work that even though it was barely available in English, Guinness gave him a posthumous world record for most comics published by one author. Their count placed him at 128,000 pages across 770 titles and 500-plus volumes. It, it's insane. Just it, Yeah. Yeah. The guy like, worked just, nonstop from 16 until he died. Yeah, and just like, I was shocked when I just looked up this series on Wikipedia, just how many versions and adaptations there have been over the years. Like, this is a long-running thing. Yes. Well long running as it it's had a long like shelf life in a sense because it stopped in the 80s it's so there's there's more to that and we'll get there yeah. uh like a lot of creators of his era ishinomori was shaped by world war ii japan he was too young to fight in it but he grew up in the days of a country that did unspeakable shit and was humbled for it what he took away from it was a two-word phrase that is the core of pretty much every one of his major works fuck fascists salute mm-hmm. emoji Unlike a lot of people, though, Ishinomori was a realist first, optimist second. A recurring theme in a lot of his works is that humans drive conflict, even if outside forces can add spice to the mix. Kamen Rider's Shocker and 009's Black Ghost are explicitly, inhumanly evil, but both of them get by because there are people who join up willingly or ignore uncomfortable parts of the whole thing to hear what they want in service of getting theirs, or seeking a better world that, you know, you might have to crack a few skulls to get behind uh, the future. It's a very, very realistic take on what drives some of the worst people you will ever meet, and it is present in pretty much everything he ever did. Speaking of, let's just do a quick history on Cyborg 009. It's one of the largest things Ishinomori ever worked on, returning to it repeatedly over his career, and planning a final arc for it he never finished before his death at 60. Beginning in the mid-60s, it's oddly prescient in the themes it touched on for the era, and also extremely problematic due to the design of one of the characters, Cyber uh-huh. 008 Punma. Yep. So you've both seen the, uh, you've both seen that? Uh, like the original manga, no, but I, I the first time oh. I saw it, Zero Zero. Does he just look like a Mr. Popo? Oh, just I go, I shy. Let me insert an image here. Matt, you know who Mr. Popo is? He's from Dragon Ball Z. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm talking like I was gonna. Go- no, I was gonna Google uh, what the original Zero Zero Eight art looked like. I have a picture that I was going to stick into that's, my notes. That's swimmy guy, right? Yep. Okay. So if you want to scroll down a little while I start reading this part. Um, I don't see anything. Oh, in the, in the notes. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's that's way worse, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. I yeah, am buddy. Going, I am gonna quote the incredible David Brothers, who, full disclosure, I have written for his website, The Past, and since it is relevant to this passage, he is a black man. From his afterword from an out-of-print 009 collection here, since it gets to the heart of this. I hate this stuff. It's racist and ugly and stupid on top of that. Ebony White and that one Tintin story just make me angry, in part because that sort of racism is inexcusable, but mostly because comic scholars are like, Oh yeah, listen, Will Eisner was a legend. How can he be racist? It was the times. Yeah, the times when black people were demonized and dehumanized. What a time. Mad Men. 
But Zero Eight is a little strange. For one, even though Ishinomori is explicitly using racist iconography, he isn't bringing the same baggage to it that Eisner or others did. He's not a step-and-fetch-it type, and there's not a hint of the yes sir, boss we sick garbage that makes Ebony White such a strong black character. He's just a regular dude and he acts like it. It's like Ishinomori adapted the art style but missed out on the baggage that goes along with it. There's a weird tension between 008's looks, which have evolved over the years toward actual human being instead of stereotype, and the fact that Ishinomori is trying to show us how war affects all of us. I'm interested in that intersection. I don't know how much contact Ishinomori had with black people, or where he first saw the iconography he employed, but I do think it's fair to assume that he employed that same iconography without the same baggage as Eisner or Herge, while who did it while reinforcing a very poisonous power structure. It looks like a duck, but it quacks like a goose. What is it? It's infuriating and interesting all at once, and if anything, makes me want to know more about the origins of the series and why he made the choices he did. In a later series, uh, this is the anime we're watching, by the way, Produced after Ishinomori died, they reinvented 008 as a guerrilla soldier instead of a refugee, which fits in even better with Ishinomori's global and personal focus. Yeah, and it... they have seen the picture, which is uh -huh. not going to be used as episode art for this. No. It's not good. It's not no, good. It... Yeah, it's pretty much what as bad as you'd think it'd be for uh, a mid-60s you know, comic. Yeah. Especially from Japan. It's less bad. Uh, he doesn't have the one snaggle tooth. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, that's true. But you it, definitely see how this was his attempt to make a caricature that looked just as much as the German features on Albert or... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this I mean, like... what he it, thought. I mean, and the thing is, I, I've seen, uh, like, some images of uh, the even more recent adaptations, and they make them, you know, they make them look like a normal character. Like, yeah. Uh, but, like, in this version, they basically, they, they look like they took the manga version and just made his skin more gray tone and his other features more, like, like he basically just, like, took the contrast and put it down. So, like, it's still there. It's just muted. Well, his mouth doesn't protrude from his face like an ape like it does in this photo. Not not, not, not to the... Yeah, no. It's not as highlighted or, like, encompasses as much of his, of his face, too. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but, it, like, even when I saw it in the show, I'm just like, ooh. Like, when, when was this made? And then I looked it up and, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. The show is, the show is basically fine, in my opinion. Yeah. Because everyone yeah, is I... weird. Except for 003, who looks like she's from a C-tier hentai. Yeah. So... Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the characters when we get into the show but it's also, very funny. the most useless cyborg so far um i wouldn't say that i would say that i i could definitely see that based off this initial arc mm -hmm. so at its base the plot is pretty simple black ghost merchants of death arms dealers without conscience and more money than power than god sorry you ever listen to grub stakers when you say black ghost i just hear yogi go why is it gonna be black <laughs> god <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna um, cut that out of their podcast and send it to you. <laughs> uh, Black Ghost have kidnapped nine people from around the world whose disappearance went unnoticed. Their scientists turned them into cyborg weapons of various styles, and through blind luck and some assistance from other would-be defectors, they escape together, trying to find out if there's a place in the world for them, or any way to be free of the organization that still wants them dead or alive. Meanwhile, this anime, Cyborg 009 The Cyborg Soldier, 
was created in 2001 and is, problems and all, likely the single best version of the story you can get to this day, especially in the West. It modernizes the franchise, but keeps the core of every character and the changes it makes, as well as being a sort of greatest hits version of the stop and start manga. Um, I'm being very quick about all of this because when we get to our final episode in the series, I'm going to go into a lot more detail on both the manga and the series' problems for reasons that will make more sense then. Okay. Yeah. The version we're watching is probably as good as it's ever going to get. We have the recent Discotech Blu-ray release. See, Cyborg Soldier was exceedingly cursed, being a digitally drawn series in the early era of anime moving away from celluloid, and a lot of weird rights issues in the time it was made in have led to it being in a precarious position. I'm just going to take a couple quotes from the special feature on there, because this was a thing they announced and then went radio silent on for over a year, and now we know why. It's it's incredible. Like, I, I read this uh, last night, you know, just, yeah. like, flipping through on the menus, and, like, ho- holy shit. <laughs> I was horrified. <laughs> uh, so the entire series, uh, they, they, they've actually cut one episode from it, but it was a clip show that was literally designed to run on television as filler because they didn't finish things one week. Uh, is presented in SD resolution on a single Blu-ray because the show was drawn at a low resolution and animated at a mix of frame rates, causing us to realize upscaling would not look very good. Additionally, the video showed signs of being assembled on analog video equipment. There was noise, scanline glitches, and sampling artifacts. Every master looked like this, so we suspect the flaws were introduced during the show's actual production. Mm -hmm. Sony sent... The over 1,000 random tapes. And these are like it, Betamax tapes, right? Or not like beta all, not all Betamacs. It's even better. Oh, right, uh, right, right. Some right. was Umatic format, which was something uh-huh. that was mostly used for adding subtitles. Yeah. Um, there's actual just random VHSs in there. And it's a collection of whatever they had in a box in storage. English dub and original widescreen. A cropped version. NTSC and PAL. Some tapes labeled uncut for DVD only, some totally unlabeled at all. A couple were in Portuguese and Spanish for no reason. Uh, They said they used the English masters to replace their DVD rips with uncompressed video, but there were three things they couldn't. The Japanese end credits and title screens, which explains why those look so incredibly blurry, and one violent shot from the English usable master they could not find any reasons of. I'm pretty sure this is from the final two-parter. Mm-hmm. The audio had 5.1 surround mixes, but they weren't on the masters. Which Digital beta it, cam weirdly makes it sound good through uh, Atmos still. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. sounds very good compared to anything else of its age, including, like, studio productions, which do not deal with modern um, digital scaling well, but these do. But the 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 funny thing is that they didn't. They only had what audio for a third of the uh, the episodes in five point one, and then they had to like take the stereo tracks and then digitally remake it in, in a five point one mix. Yeah, yeah. There were, I think they said six episodes total. They couldn't pull the mixes from the DVDs. 
uh, they had to send to an outside studio to upscale to 5.1. It sounds pretty good. Um, what I'm doing is my TV actually has okay speakers and it has um, time correction. So I have it basically time corrected. So I'm using the TV as two, the sound bar as two, and then the subwoofer. So it sounds pretty good. And uh, what is effectively 4.1. Mm-hmm. And the English dub, and this is this is me going off script from the stuff in the special features. This is me, the guy who has been a fan of this series for 20 years. Um, this is the original English dub that was made for Cartoon Network in the 2000s. I can guarantee that. The materials on the Blu-ray suggest this has to be the uncut dub, since they did not have any tracks across anything. I'm convinced they just never made a fully uncut English dub. This series was never released unaltered in English in any region prior to this release, and in fact, the only home releases it had outside of Japan were a single eight-episode DVD in the U.S. They claimed it was uncut. It might have been. I don't know. And the first season of the show got released in Australia. This clearly isn't using that. That said, the subtitles are all a fresh translation, so that's what we're going off of, barring me pointing out some real egregious or funny shit in the dub. Mm Mm-hmm. And by the second season, the budget was cut real bad. And this is, you're going to wince because we've already seen some egregious animation reuse in the first five episodes for a little bit of padding. Look, what I'll say is that when they do reuse animation, they reuse slightly longer loops than usual. Like um, when they're cutting the airplanes in half with their airplane, instead of it just being two airplanes repeated like it would be an Ideon, which is extremely noticeable, it's like three or four. The the like reused the, loops are a little longer, so the time padded is more, but it's slightly less obvious. Like, I, I think the thing that distracts me more about the animation in the bits I've seen so far is that the frame rate of the animation itself will be very low frame count, but there'll be these camera pans that are in like full 60 frames per second like extremely smooth and it is extremely jarring every time it happens yeah once i once i found out that thing about it being all in different frame rates i was like this explains so much it's amazing it, just, it ever fucking came out yeah, yeah like honestly if they had i i think if they had like capped the frame rate at whatever like 24 or whatever it is that like makes it look more cinematic like some of the stuff would be less noticeable to me it's just there's some really smooth pans across a single frame and then some really choppy animation underneath it and it just makes everything look way 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 cheaper than it probably was (laughs) there's a specific shot that i'm going to have to rip off of this to use as the episode art for this one because there's one wall that looks like it's fucking 8-bit behind all the characters. It's so low-res. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this, uh, this show bombed globally to the point that it literally never finished airing in the U.S. They aired the second-to-last episode on Toonami and just stopped before the finale. Also, the <laughs> second and... The second to last and final episodes of this show uh, were a very Ava-like, oh fuck, we have to finish the animation later disaster. To the point that the week it was supposed to end, they aired a clip show reanimating the previous week. It's That is the episode that's not on this. I would really love to see the comparison, but apparently the English Masters only have the corrected versions. 
So this does contain the actual ending or not? Yes, this does contain the actual ending. Okay. We, I was looking in the notes and going, I need to find out which one is the clip show so you guys can skip it. And it's like, oh, they just didn't include the second clip show. Something about this Blu-ray is so cursed that I finally just had to rip it in order to be able to watch it. So I just have like a single like 20 hour video file with chapter breaks in it. Well, well, Chris, that's how it's like when you play it in a player, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like when I went to say, oh, there's play... no like menu like to break up discrete discrete. There's a menu up. to break up episodes, but there's no individual episode coding it's just 226 chapters that might be why my blu-ray player didn't like it i just finally had to pay money for yeah. make mkv and rip it yeah it is just a giant video file that you drop in and out of uh which is unusual it's definitely like it, it's just yeah, everything about this feels cheap and i understand like how much work that had to go into actually getting it into this format alone is pretty incredible uh, and like, I, I, I definitely respect that. It's just, it, it's hard. Like if you just pick this up without any context and you start watching this, you'd be like, what the hell is this thing? Yeah. It's neat. Yeah. It's, I think the next arc is where this is going to start growing on you. Once it stops becoming, there's an assassin every week and we get into what's called the wandering arc. Mm-hmm. where they're just sort of trying to figure out what the fuck do we do in this world? Pretty into how everyone looks like they come out of a different anime. I really love the styling. The style is very distinct. Like, you know, and I had watched, I don't think I watched Astro Boy. I think I watched, um, there's another cyborg based anime that I feel like is a, is like a, like a Tezuka style. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I wrote it down at some point. Uh, and like, it reminded me very distinctly of that. Just in terms of how rounded and sort of, ang- you know, some places like people look angular, but everything is smoothed off in a particular way. Yeah, they kept the 60s design aesthetic through everything, even though the series is supposed to take place in what was the modern day. Yeah, it does have like the weird retro futurism. Like the planes yeah. are like futuristic, but like a futuristic version of like a World War II glider or whatever. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot of, you know, chunky buttons and computer screens. Like, th- there's a scene in these first few episodes we're covering that, like, you know, a guy's using a typewriter, and it's like, yeah, they wouldn't have even thought of, a, you know, individual I computers. I hate that motherfucker yet. so much. He's just not that great. Not a fan no. of GB? No. All right. So terrible. And at why, this point... Why oh, is he there's... always sent with the combat squad? Like, my man got nothing. Everybody kills like six guys and then he karate chops one guy. Well, it's funny, though, because he looked like some of something else and tricks them. That's his gag. I hate it. He actually has an arc, too. There's there's pathos to that character. My manager just like transform into a tank and clean house. Uh, he will do that at times. Thank fuck. And uh, at this point, I should probably address, do not buy the manga in English, not in its current form as we record this. It was only released here by Tokyopop, notable for being one of the worst companies in the Western anime industry by a mile. And their original releases literally had errors like word balloons full of the editor going, Mike, text is missing. Alan, please add details. Yeah. (laughs) It released 10 volumes and made it look like the end of that chunk was the finale of the series. It ran for 26. 
the version on Comixology is that exact translation with only the most egregious errors fixed, and it still has the aborted finale. So, that takes us into, unless we have any other pre, pre-show pre stuff from Matter Pleasure. I got mine on no. this page. <laughs> I got mine, okay. Yeah. Uh, that takes us into episode one, The Birth. Uh, and that take so we open up with uh after a hilarious very bad CG sequence of DNA being combined, uh we get a voice who we'll come to know as uh zero zero one Ivan Whiskey uh, awakens uh, a robot on a table named Joe and immediately the scientist monitoring him sounds an alarm. Uh, they try to flood the room he's in with gas, and he's told the only course of action uh, is to jump. And he does, uh, jumping up two stories through a glass ceiling. Uh, he then gets attacked by robots and, uh, like, just kind of, like, instinctively punches at them and blows them up. And we just get, like, an increasing escalation of him figuring out that his body is dramatically stronger and faster and tougher than it should be. Like, he gets shot in the back a bunch of times and is fine. Mm-hmm. Um... With Ivan's help, uh, doing, like, uh, basically radio guidance, uh, Joe makes his way through various vents to escape the facility onto an armored vehicle testing ground. Um, I assume this is actually him being guided by a combination of O3 and O1. Yeah, they work together in sync a lot of the time. That's why she'll usually be holding him. Okay. I mean, uh, do... is, is that why, Fletch? Yes, that is actually why. Uh, <laughs> if the two of them are separate, they are not nearly as... Yeah, no, I, I'm, yeah. I'm just... I, I know. I, I'm just poking fun at the fact that there's... Uh, spoilers. Uh, 001 is a baby, and 003 is the girl of the squad, and so the girl is constantly carrying the baby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Again, yeah, there's more know, to this. I know. Uh, you know th- this this uh, intro. Yeah, real shame gave the me... jet plane isn't carrying the baby, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, she. Uh, let's then, be I mean, real. He is basically the stork, right? She is the only one with no combat abilities. Mm-hmm. She isn't. Which, yeah, yeah. That's not. That's also not great. Uh, th- this intro bit though did rem- you know made me think of Matrix One, uh, where they're trying to get. Uh, Trinity's telling Neo how to get out of the office building. Uh, so, like, I I assume that this is where the the Wachowskis took this idea from, maybe. Or uh, it's probably let me been dump on you, let me dump on your cool analogy and say this is exactly like in Finding Dory when uh, Bailey the Beluga <laughs> tells Dory how to get through the pipes. But did <laughs> I haven't? <laughs> I've not watched that, and so I and I assume that came out after the Matrix. Uh, disagree. <laughs> Uh, during the while well, he's fighting some tanks on a vehicle testing ground, or there's a a good line from Ivan where Joe hears the enemy comes, uh, screaming plans to recapture him, and he just goes, "Everyone's talking about you. You're a popular person." <laughs> yeah, Ivan comes off like such an asshole until you actually get to meet him. Well, that, that's <laughs> he just responds, "When I find you, I'm gonna fucking choke your lights out." Yes. Uh-huh. And Ivan's just like, I don't think that's going to be true. Yeah. When you when you meet me, you'll think differently. Yes. Jokes on him. Stiven could have hit. Sorry, uh, Sadab could have handled Ivan, throwing him right out of that incubator. <laughs> yeah. So it's a uh, tank combat time. Uh, 
yeah, and uh, like so, Joe's hesitating because uh, he realizes that these tanks aren't automated like the robots he fought in the lab. There's people inside of them, but then they actually start shooting at him, and uh, he he gets a little bit less sympathetic about them realizing that oh, they're trying they're trying to kill me, uh, and he's uh, pushed back by constant fire to a cliff, and he sees the sea beneath him, and he has a flashback uh, to. Before this happened, uh, he was surrounded by a bunch of cops at gunpoint on a similar cliff. Uh, he claims that he is innocent and didn't kill the priest and then turns around and dives off the cliff. And in the present time, he repeats this and dives into the ocean. Uh, soon this after, kind of becomes his fucking signature move. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, shit. I mean, I'm on like a cliffside. Yoink. <laughs> he's like the major in that respect. Just always jumping <laughs> off buildings. <laughs> Wow. You know, when you have you have your one thing, you just know how to do it really well. So soon after he discovers he doesn't need to breathe anymore, uh, just in time for a robot shark to attack him, which was pretty rad, actually. Thank God that sharks are robot. Otherwise, it would have been so gross when he just punched through its eye into its brain. Oh, it would just be the same as what happens in JoJo's. Like, and, he, and that was pretty yeah, rad. Like I said, happened. so gross. <laughs> <laughs> gross. But entertaining. Um, yeah, and uh, a person he can't uh, see uh, shoots the shark and swims off. And uh, when he surfaces, he takes a moment uh, and just asks again, "What the hell is happening?" And Ivan says, "If I tell you now, you're not. You're only going to be more upset." But the answers uh, are at your destination. Just keep uh, following the path. And so we cut to a little later down this path as. Fighter jets blast Joe off uh, a cliff he is scaling. He's trying to, like, climb up a, a really sheer rock face, uh, which is funny because I, I think you could see, like, a beach, like, not that far off from there. Like, I don't know if he yeah. needed to, like, climb this particular rock face. Uh, oh, that's why the thing Ivan says is even worse. Yeah. And, uh, like, Ivan, it's like, yeah, no, I could have totally given you a stealthy route here, but I'm putting you in harm's way just to see what you're capable of. <laughs> And, and I, think I think this, this is, is where, the point he, where, where Joe Joe's threatens. Just like, I will murder you. Yeah, this is where Joe threatens him. <laughs> is he For supposed to have reason. all of the powers? He doesn't have everyone's. Yeah, because like no this. jet boots or whatever. Yeah, he doesn't yeah, have rockets I, in his knees. Um, his I'll That's just so get to this note stupid. now. He has the armor of G Junior. He has Punma's mechanical lungs, and he has the accelerator that. Uh, jet is equipped with a prototype version of. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Ivan oh. tells him how to push the switch in his back molder. And interesting that the one white guy is worth more than two black guys. To be fair, the half Japanese guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh huh. Uh huh. He's so, anime white Fletcher. <laughs> uh no, that's like actually a huge part of his character backstory. Okay. Uh, I'll give, we'll I'll give to it to that. you for now. We'll get to that later. His past sucks. Because we all know that Japanese is just anime white. Yeah, it's, well. it's true. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, yeah, Joe has the accelerator, which is a thing that gives him faster than human response to the world around him. One plane explosion later, because he has accidentally, you know, leapt onto the thing, and he's picked up from the blast by 002 Jet Link, who flies and has an accelerator. Mm -hmm. As they land on a nearby island, we finally get to see the whole Zero Zero series together. 
they don't yet introduce themselves, but I'm giving their notes in these names because it's a lot easier than us throwing around a bunch of numbers without any context. Mm -hmm. uh, Y'all feel free to switch with whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, unfortunately for the Zero Zeros, there's an approaching force between them and the facility they plan to hijack a plane at. Uh, we get a little montage of everyone basically showing off their skills one by one. Zero Zero Three Francois has enhanced senses. They don't say it as such, but she's basically radar, especially if she's operating in conjunction with Ivan's telepathy. Zero Zero Four Albert is literally full of guns, a living weapon in every sense of the word. He has a straight-up machine gun hand, rockets in most of his joints, etc. Yeah, he also... I don't know what's up with his eyes, right? Because he That looks is a like, stylistic thing. Okay, because it looks like he's got, he's like, German, embedded... right? Yes. Yeah, he's German. Yeah, That's where they give him, like, the exaggerated, like, the blue eye, but it's his full eye, like an embedded, like, um, targeting sensor, right? Yeah, yeah like, it, it looks like it's part of his robot thing, but when you see him in flashback, he looks exactly the same. <laughs> Yeah, that's just how the guy drew yeah. Eastern Europeans. Yeah, he, he's the cool one. Like, Francois is the girl. Albert is the uh, the cool guy. Uh, zero Zero One reveals he is not just a telepath being an all-around psychic because he forms a telekinetic barrier to stop tank fire from falling upon them. And and he's a baby. Yes. Yeah, we, we mentioned it offhand, but yeah, <laughs> Ivan Whiskey is literally a baby. Yeah, uh, he definitely forgets about the shield when it would be helpful. So, mm -hmm. like, like when the cave collapses or any of the other times, we get to this a little later because he's a baby. He basically has to shut down after using his more powerful abilities. That's why they're talking about. Yeah, he sleeps for two weeks at a time sometimes. Mm -hmm. Ugh, I hate that. Yeah. It's their way, and he, he lessens it as he gets more no, use over I get, time. But I get it. It's a way of inserting pacing breaks into the show to have some character development episodes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's just, uh, I, very I inelegant this is what I'd say but, about it. <laughs> yeah. This original arc is the most 60s of all, and uh -huh. this is barely changed from the manga. And, like, it raises a lot of questions, like, why... Like, I understand he's the first, and the first experiment, you don't want to, you know, bite off whether you can chew. But also, why would you cyborg a baby? Because you what, what physically use of control that? Um, there's a really fucked up answer to that. Okay, well, I guess we'll find out. I'm going to go with, for now, you can very easily physically control a baby, unlike an eight, eight foot tall black guy who's as strong as a thousand men. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, 005G Jr. is Native American. Okay. He's eight feet uh -huh. tall, has visible steel under his skin, and is the definition of living tank. Between Sorry, could have used some feather earrings, so I would have known that. Uh, for what it's worth, they tend to just call him G Jr. in this, but his original name is Geronimo Jr. Oh, buddy. Oh, there we go. That's yeah, that would... another one of those things they sort of changed for the adaptation. I hadn't looked, but I was going to guess that he was Samoan. Uh, yeah, no, he's he's straight up uh, Native American Indian from the U.S. Yeah, so like at least uh, 008 is not the only person of color. Uh, 006 Chang can spit 3000 degree fire and uses this to tunnel around rapidly, generally sticking underneath the battlefield and out of direct combat. I hate him. Really? He's, he's, yes. he's like the second so you, goofiest person. You don't on the like squad. the guys who are kind of comic relief. Mm. He's you can, a good cook. I don't mind 
comic relief characters, but I mind comic relief characters when their comic relief is always the same bit. Mm-hmm. Let's see if that changes. I would not mind a generally funny character. Okay. But I transform into this thing and it makes a funny sound when I hop away. Uh, uh not, not, well, doesn't that's, do it for me. That's the next guy. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, like, these... Yeah, I know. 006 and 007 are characters. both... They're both the most, like, out, like what we, we call cartoonish oh, kind of... Oh, shout-outs to how when he transforms, you can hear the Pokeball opening sound from the anime. <laughs> it does. It sounds like the pop I, open part. I have no idea, so I'll take your word. I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to listen for that because I, I that didn't register. But also, I have not watched a Pokemon anime since the original was on television. Because the Pokeball opening goes with the same pop sound that it makes when he transforms, and then there's some other effects as the Pokemon comes out. But it's the same pop sound. Hmm. Okay. Strictly speaking, I'm not just with the cyborgs, I'm one of the cyborgs! Zero, zero, 007! Uh, the character he's talking about is zero, zero, 007, who is only referred to as Great Britain or GB. We actually never get a name for him. Uh, he can transform into any shape and is basically a living cartoon. His name is Gef Burstman. <laughs> mm-hmm. 008 Punma, we talked about at the start of the episode. He is a trained soldier, but also specializes in underwater work with mechanical lungs and a body designed for pressure resistance at any ocean depth. Also, all of the zero zero save Ivan have little 50s ray guns. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And they have multiple settings. Yes. Yep. Blast mode, needle mode, and question mark, question mark. Uh-huh. Yeah. So with introductions out of the way, we go back to the battle where the tanks are approaching the uh, squad. A uh, good beat happens here. The commander of the troops spots them and says that the ninth subject has joined them. Uh, Skull, the leader of the facility, radios back and simply says, you're not capable of capturing them alive. It can't be helped. Destroy every last one. Um, uh, So the uh, cyborgs destroy all of the tanks. Uh, They think the battle is won. All the soldiers are tied up. Uh, and then all of the like the wreckage of the tanks and the mechanical enemies start spitting out drones that uh kind of like face hugger onto their face, except they have uh, bottom mounted drills. Uh, everyone looks like they're about to be captured and defeated when Joe trush- uh, turns on enables the accelerator mode and uh, crushes them all, and the remaining ones fuse into a giant yeah. cyborg snake, which is uh rad. It's rules. Uh, yeah. It snags all of the combat cyborgs. Um, except for yeah, we, Joe. We haven't mentioned zero uh, zero one and zero zero three don't fight because they are a baby and a pacifist. We have explicitly mentioned that multiple times already. All right. <laughs> we didn't uh, mention that. I personally have complained about it a lot. <laughs> She's actually a pacifist, though. It's a character. Uh huh. Uh-huh. They, they don't mention it in these first five episodes. I will okay. say. They do. She literally says pacifist multiple times. Pacifist is just no, what, for what, you, what you're saying, Fletch, is that she's French and doesn't want to fight because she knows she'll lose. Wow. <laughs> well, she also comments about how she used to whip the ass of every boy in her neighborhood as a kid. That is true. She was she she explicitly says that she it was a tomboy. And I have no idea why like that stuck boy. around because that is like the most historically inaccurate thing of all time. Of like the French. Yeah. 
Yeah. You, you know why? Because it's it's just American jingoism that is just infected. Yeah, but culture. it's weird that that pre us entering World War One stereotype has stuck around for like 80 years. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's because it's just such a weird shorthand and all the worst comedies. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to think of the French saved our ass in the revolution than to hear someone saying in a film, cheese eating surrender monkeys. I think you mean not not that they saved our ass, is that the French won our war for us? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, that. that's not to mention the, you know, the parts where uh, they they had, you know, they got their ass kicked in World War II, but also they helped get us into Vietnam. <laughs> so much like the traitorous French, the uh, cyborg <laughs> snake uh, snags all of the beautiful American combat cyborgs. Uh, except for Joe, and uh, Albert tosses him a gun, and it doesn't seem to do anything before uh, Francois and Ivan point out a weakness that's only visible for a few seconds, uh, which is that as the fourth and third joints go to connect, there is the an opening on the fourth joint where the heart is that they could shoot and destroy, uh, and then he does so. And with the robot snake dispatched, everybody makes their way to the facility, with uh, Jeff Burstman running through the ducks in rat form, opening paths where needed. Uh, nobody shows up to meet them, and they reach the plane with almost reach the plane with no problem, uh, because a bunch of walls close and seal around them, and they mm-hmm. counteract all of their abilities. Yeah, I don't know if we mentioned it, but uh, they explicitly are trying not to hurt the humans, which is you know they're trying to be the good guys. Uh, yeah. Th- yeah, they they did say like when the cyborgs came out. Oh yeah, now we don't have to hold back because these are not human. So yeah, they they are trapped in this facility, and uh, weirdly above it, like above this entryway, there is a glass ceiling where like the command center is. <laughs> yeah, they, so there's these scientists uh, above them. They're like they're looking down, and being like, "Hey, we got you." And uh, like Joe's caught up on the fact that they're all cyborgs with enhanced bodies, and um, in the middle of the lecture, one of the scientists. Uh, Put a, puts a gun to another's head, and uh, it turns out that uh, GB uh, somehow was got out or did get caught in this trap and was masquerading as another scientist. Well, because he was in the vents. Yeah, no, like, we, we'll find out how, essentially. Yeah, that's also uh, true. Yeah, uh, but, like, in the moment, you're like, wait, what happened? Um, so there's a good line from Chang. It says, ah, oh, geez, I totally forgot you were gone. Uh, and... Uh, so GB's got one of the doctors hostage and uh, they walk through the armed platoon saying uh, the, and the doctor saying, like, don't shoot. Uh, and he's the doctor even says, like, they know the self-destruct code. And if I die and they crossfire, nobody can stop the sequence. Well, Which is yeah, because a- it's implied that he's the only guy that knows the um, de- how to stop the shutdown. He knows, like, the shut mm-hmm. the uh, stop it self-destruct code. Yeah. Which you think you would have, like, pasted everywhere, maybe. Uh-huh. But it's on the other the, hand, once you see how Black Ghost is run, you realize, no, they wouldn't. You know, I just, the whole self-destruct base code thing, I, where did that come from? I was just thinking about that the other day, like, there are much easier ways to destroy evidence of things than just making everything just explode. So it was a pulp novel trope, because uh-huh. it was an easy way to get, get rid re- of anything yeah. massively world-changing in a story, while also giving you some kind of tension at the end oh no the place is about to go up we've got to get out of here it's the same as it's where you go from the mobsters are working in is on fire yeah Yeah. it's where you go from we've got the data now what Uh uh-huh 
Yeah, it's just very, uh, you know what? We run into it so many times. We've even run into it on this show in every season <laughs> that we've done. And I just like, for a moment, I just went, oh, why? <laughs> uh, Joe hesitates before stepping onto the plane. They, they you know, they've, they've been going away onto this, uh, this giant cargo plane. And at this point, Ivan says that uh, this is as far as he's going to guide, uh, guide him. If Joe uh, doesn't want to come along at this point, that's his own choice to make. And, but uh, also, we're gonna blow this place up. So, uh huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. The quote is actually: "Think about this right now. We're all a chain gang forced by Black Ghost. But if we work together, those ties that bind us can become the bonds of a family." I like the uh, the dub here. Actually, said a uh, a chain of hope, which I like a little more than that. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple of places the dub has good lines. I try to point them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I I'm watching the uh, the sub version. Like I watched the first episode dubbed and went like, wait, I don't have to do this to myself, <laughs> and switched it over. I switched uh, over several times in the first one, but uh, apparently the content changes are substantial, and Fletcher recommends we do subs. So I'm just gonna have to yeah rewatch okay. the first five in subs to figure out who sounds like what. Uh-huh. Um, by the end they straight up alter plot points. And there's one really egregious thing that I think comes up in the next episode. All right. And I don't have to listen to the awful voice acting for plus and minus. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, how, how bad is it? Cause it's not great in Japanese either. (laughs) Oh dude. I'm 10 negative. They looks, they look snivelly. Yeah. Yeah. Got real, uh, snarf voice going on. Um, but anyway, Joe decides to step on the plane and they take off. And Ivan explains that Joe is 009, the ninth 00 series cyborg. And yes, every time they get a code name, they're going to say 001st. Nobody has yet uh, used their actual names, uh, incidentally. So at this point, this is all we know about them. And episode one ends, uh, you know. I really like the episode one ending sequence. It's composed of design sketches colored in a nice marker style. And Uh it's clearly not the final designs because you get to see some intermediate stages before they get to the modern revamp. It's it's a nice alternate take on it. Mm -hmm. What what isn't good about the intro and outro are the the songs. How dare you? Really? I hate these. I think these are terrible. Really? These I are... actually think these hold up great, and I'm glad they got the license. Oh, no I way. think they're terrible, but my wife likes them. She says, wow, they sound like KMFDM. <laughs> That's exactly what, like, yeah, it, it sounds like, like, it, yeah, they took, like, late 90s industrial, and then, like, had, no, Japanese singers just sing random words in English on top of it. It just sounds oh, so awful That's to me. so good, though. The it's reason so for that is that this is unlike a lot of things where it's like, oh, maybe you'll commission an artist or whatever. This is things from Avex Tracks, the electronic label that uh-huh. got picked up and used. Yeah, I think uh, the intro and outro is by a band named Global. And Yes. Yeah, I think there's, there's two other songs. Global, there's one of them, and then there's one more that isn't them. Uh, but yeah, I, I think this is really jarring compared to the actual look and then the soundtrack within the... Uh, you know the music cues within the show. Just I love that this very strange. I love that the credits say the male singer's name is Mark. That way, I can say shoutouts to Mark every time. <laughs> that, that's a <laughs> meme that I like. Wish had more utility, but it's so hyper specific. <laughs> I don't also, remember where it's from. God anymore. help you if you have to. Yeah, explain it. <laughs> Where's it from, Matt? I forget. 
Uh, it's it's a it's like one of the one of the gaming companies. THQ like, Nordic. Oh THQ, yeah, yeah. THQ oh Nordic, god. Yeah. Oh fuck. I forgot all about shoutouts to Mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember I, that yeah, time that they went on the fucking Nazi site and did an AMA? I do. Uh huh. That's why I still don't give them any money. Our mods. Shoutouts to Mark. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Oh. God. Chris, you need you need to remember where these memes come from so you can meme uh, responsibly. <laughs> wow. Matt giving anyone shit about memeing responsibly is amazing. And with that, we come to episode two, The Escape. This is the second half of what is basically an extended pilot and also closes out what the manga calls the birth arc. So we begin with a flashback. Joe is asleep on the plane and has dreams of his past. There's a burning church where he discovers the pastor dead inside with a knife in him. And when what might be the police bust in, they're armored with gas masks. Boy, that's a sight that really takes on a whole new thing today. Yeah. Like, I wrote these notes earlier this week. What the shit? Yeah. Uh, But the possibly police see joe and presume him the culprit it's worth noting that joe is dirt ass poor in appearance he has no shoes a rope belt and a bare white top on canvas pants Mm -hmm. Uh, you can tell from some of the details this isn't the stock cops they're shown in some shots in armor or as a faceless row of blue lights and after he leaps off the cliff two men in black suits find him is he alive Yeah, his condition and age is perfect. From there, the only time he wakes up is once on an operating table, and then, boom, awake on the plane. As uh, Joe comes to, GB is lecturing the hostage scientist. Um, It turns out the entire self-destruct code thing was a sham. He was uh, the person who helped them start escaping in the very beginning. Which uh, is why he's on the box cover. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Everyone but Joe was already in on this, uh, which leaves him a little sore. Uh, No time to be butthurt, though. A massive robot jets and drones uh, are scrambled after them. Uh, Joe and Albert are loaded into tiny one-man fighters and dropped out the back of the jet to intercept. Uh, They're really, like, designed like like if you would imagine what a prop prop plane would look like 70 years in the future. This is what you would draw. Uh, It looks like a one-man submersible but with razor wings. Yeah, it looks like the sea moth in Subnautica, actually. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Gilmore tells them that the fighters are unmanned. A good explanation of the dub softening some of the personalities is right here. In the sub, Albert's response to this on the comms is to say, hear that, don't we have to, we don't have to hold back. And in the dub, he just says, all right, let's take them out. Hmm. Um, similarly, the source material is way more ambiguous on Dr. Gilmore at first. The dub is already saying he's trustworthy, whereas in Japanese, Albert is telling Joe he was just as anxious as us to be free of Black Ghost. For now, that's good enough. Uh. I, I really oh, love uh, that okay. in English, though, the dub refers to the organization Black Ghost as a death merchant, which they repeat a bunch of times. Yeah. And the actual translation they give is just arms dealers. Yeah, so like, like yeah, that's the, good. 
the dub definitely plays up like the inherent fascism of black ghost but everything else seems worse the dub is incredibly censored and it gets way worse as we get deeper into this series okay Mm -hmm. but again there's a thing that i'm gonna call out uh around the end of this episode that holy shit it sucks Oh, I specifically also called out this line. Um, when Albert runs out of ammo, he jokes he'll be back running back. He says, I'll, uh, running to the store for more bullets. Uh, then lol JK Kamikaze charges into a crowd of the drones. Uh, Joe is very, uh, very shocked, uh, before Albert's craft, uh, cuts through the drones. And, uh, Albert says in a line that I liked very much, the whole jet was designed to be a weapon just like my body. Very depressing. Uh-huh. Albert. Uh- arguably has the second shittiest backstory of anyone it's i give i give ivan the edge albert has the shittiest fate yeah it doesn't seem good from what from what we get to see at least so far yeah but uh yeah like when i saw this bit i'm just like isn't it isn't it still really hard to ram something in the air and not like fuck up your flight pattern or get like jettisoned in the wrong direction? Like it's, I I'm willing to let it pass because anime, but you know, it's super what? science. It's sixty yes. super science. Sure, yeah, yeah. It's like a razor blade. It just you know cutting through hot butter. Just you don't feel it. Um, the guy on the JoJo's podcast is complaining that anime is unrealistic. Uh, I know, <laughs> and there are cyborgs. It's just literally editing the episode where a beetle flies through the back of seven dudes' heads and uses their tongue to paint the word massacre inside of an airplane. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. That was great, though. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I like Grayfly. After the skirmish, uh, the plane reaches their destination, which is Island X. You can guess why it's called that. Uh, it's shaped flying... like an X. It's shaped like an X. Because there are and... two of them, and it's where they make beer. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, so they're flying low enough to stay under the radar, but not high enough to clear the island's height. So Gilmore recommends that they pull some acrobatics to enter the, the enter via a cave system on the side that there's a lagoon they can uh, park in apparently in the middle of this. Uh, the funny thing that like we haven't described Dr. Gilmore, he's got a big old schnoz. Yeah, uh, like I, I like his design. It's like it's very distinct and it's got like a nice swoop to it, like the the curves like going from like the front of his nose to like the back of his hair i don't know he's, i just like it a lot he's roger bacon <laughs> he's animator roger bacon he got a big knocky nose that looks like it should be the head of a staff he's about three feet tall he's kind of bird like he's kind of like what if dr light was jewy oh, that's God. a good description like i'm it's not gonna true, argue though, with him because that's to totally some of his cultural uh design He's meant to be one of the scientists who was picked up uh, after the war. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm, mm. I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but... Mm. It definitely fits. Like, I'm not I going to give that. Chris for that because that's the design aesthetic that's being drawn from. I, I guess so. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> At this point, I'm just going to mention how this series is a victim of its time period. Again, we mentioned the extremely rough transition from celluloid animation to digital. There's a quote someone said to me about the current JoJo's adaptation recently, which uh, is... That's what I said to you, copying what John said on our podcast. Okay, I couldn't remember the source, so I will give that to you. Which is that uh, 
Jojo's it, John John had pointed out that Jojo's is meant to be faithfully illustrated rather than well animated, which is why you have a emphasis on style and keyframes, even if it which makes it look great during action, but bad during people just talking. Yeah. Mm. Zero Zero Nine is doing similar, not out of artistic choice, but because nobody had any experience with these tools and the budget was tight. Yeah. I bring this up now because the plane crash landing is about a minute of static shots and every item on screen just flipping 90 degrees to show that the plane is on its side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty it, bad. It, it looks as cheap as it sounds. It looked fine to me. Yeah. Uh, this very, was the first one where I was art. like, ooh. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they try to do the... I mean, he basically does the the Batman taking the Batmobile into the alleyway from like, Oh God, which movie was that Batman forever? I don't, I don't remember. Oh, you mean, you mean how they drove in Kingsglaive. Got it. Uh huh. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So like, he, like he tries to, tries to like go vertical and like one wing clips off and the other wing clips off. And then the fuselage just slides through and lands, uh, exactly where they want to be. So Chang, who we later find out later, uh, was once a chef, uh, decided, you know, once they, once they land and they get settled, uh, he, he decides to do uh, some cooking um, from the incredibly plentiful bats and snakes that are in the cave, which is a a, a fun beat. And also made me wonder, like, why do these people need food? They're cyborgs. But okay. again, surprisingly uh, relevant in 2020. Let's talk more about that meat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so correctly. Three thousand degrees. Uh huh. Uh, so Gilmore and Puma are discussing their situation. And so apparently Island X is uh, something he was told of by other Black Coast defectors, which to him is a perfectly reason is perfectly reasonable and makes it uh, very trusty intel. But it also makes me wonder, like, don't they know it exists? Like, I, 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 like, I don't. Is this supposed to be secret from Black Ghost, or is this like this is a Black Ghost thing that they just so- hasn't been? Told about black ghost operates like terrorist cells in that everyone is kept as isolated from everyone else as possible so no one can leak things well it's like yeah. military it's like it's like the metal gear solid five unit basically just a bunch of those mm-hmm. yeah. and gilmore will comment on this later when they're like well we should take the fight to black ghost and he's like i worked for them for decades and i don't even know where the guy lays his head at night yeah which would be, make sense, considering how uh, I'm sure somebody nowhere, would want he's a ghost. to assassinate him. Ugh. Anyway, the plan is to uh, destroy the island, steal a boat, uh, and escape to freedom. Uh, unfortunately, this is the point where Francois hears that there are bombers above the island who are taking zero chances and are trying to just level everything, but just carpet bombing the whole place. And uh, Joe decides to save Francois and Ivan... Uh, from some falling rocks and because you know fuck everybody else and uh jet grabs gilmore and the others are all uh, the others uh get piled on but uh end up pummeling their way out with help from uh g jr so at this point gilmore gets a call from the scientists on the island who tell him it's time the zero zero split into two groups which is a bonus because the defectors didn't mention the tight security Francois, Joe, Chang, and Ivan join Gilmore in trying to sneak into the base, while on the other side of the island, Punma, G Jr., Albert, GB, and Jet straight up bust into an armory and begin destroying as much as possible, as loud as possible. 
The stealth team makes their way to a hangar where they discover a vehicle that's technically a ship. A vehicle designed to dominate land, sea, and air, codenamed Black Phantom. This is where everything turns, though. One of the other defectors stumbles into the hangar, gut shot, and dies in Gilmore's arms. Black Ghost knew about the scheme and wanted to wait to wipe out the culprits after the Zero Zeros arrived. Just get everyone in one go. Uh... A commander appeases Gilbert of a merely pretending to be tricked by Black Ghost while the uh, entire team is around saying you were hungry for research and acting like we lied to you to let you sleep on a clear, clear conscience while you made deals with the de- devil to develop the future. Uh, Jet flips on his accelerator and begins wrecking shop because um, it turns out state-of-the-art cyborgs beat mass-produced trash in any number. Uh, halfway through this, he tries to no, this is somebody else. This is uh, Joe. I totally yeah. something corrected. Th- yeah. Halfway through this, Joe tries to uh, move Gilmore out of danger, and Ivan screams at him to stop, saying normal humans can't handle your accelerator speed like a cyborg body. Uh, and he mo- he winds up moving Gilmore only a few feet, but he still like seems real fucked up by it. Uh, Chang follows a plan from Ivan and begins melting a hole into the side of the facility, which causes it to flood. The cyborgs and Gilmore climb onto the Black Phantom, and the other team members appear just in time to make the escape. Everyone but a now-missing Joe. Uh, Nobody has time to wonder where he went, though, as uh, robot plesiosaurs emerge from the water and begin to attack. These are the goofiest motherfuckers. Uh Uh-huh. These are like some Gundam-ass dudes. Uh... Elsewhere in, this ba- elsewhere in the base, the commander flees to a dark room and uh, asks Skull for permission to destroy the island with the cyborgs on it. Uh, Black Ghost gives him the nod, and the commander says he is honored to serve as he draws the detonator and Joe busts in gun drawn. He pauses at the sight of Skull, though, who we finally, finally see in full a black dome head over a clearly inhuman form on a throne of wires and antenna. Uh, one thing I think is hilarious about this, by the way, is uh, at the end of the episode where you see the spectral black ghost leering over the ship just mm. definitely looks like fucking Sigma. Uh, this is a character who has totally influenced a lot of design shit. And mm-hmm. uh, for what it's worth, there's two translations of this character's name. The subtitles use Skarl. I go with Skull Ooh. because it's very clearly meant to be drawn as another character Ishinomori did called the Skull Man, who was a proto common writer. Except that guy broke bad at the end instead of becoming a hero. It's mm-hmm. sort of implied through some later retellings that the hero of the Skull Man is the guy who founded Black Ghost. Uh-huh. This is where we have to talk about a giant flaw in the old dub. Black Ghost is an organization of death merchants selling weapons to profit off global conflict. Skull is the person who is in charge. The old English dub used Black Ghost interchangeably for both of these things, to the point that people will say, this is an actual line, Black Ghost is dead, but Black Ghost lives on. This fucking sucks, and this is what tells me more than anything, this is the uh, 2000s Cartoon Network dub, not an uncut one. Like I, I'm gonna be honest, I didn't know who Skull was until I like looked up the Google, like like I looked up the wiki page on this series. I'm like, who's Skull? Yeah, Skull uh, is the very boss confusing. who's giving these orders. Is that that yeah. guy people are excited about in fighting games? <laughs> mm-hmm. Now you think about Skull Girls. No, I'm not thinking of Skull Girls. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, you're thinking of um, 
whatever the fuck that Fire Emblem guy's name is. No. Scarf? It was the, no, it was the other guy from, like, five years ago. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I right. mean, like, the, the funny thing, the first time we see Skull, like, project himself, like, it's, like, the very first episode, he, like, projects himself in, he has, like, weird, his teeth are strange, because it looked like he had, like, three sets of teeth at different heights sticking in different directions. Mm-hmm. Skullomania. It a little weird. Skullomania, yes. Um, Skullomania is very much based on this design. Okay. So, yeah, now uh, we're still trying to escape the base with the boat. And uh, so these dinosaurs, they have uh, two missile bays in their mouth. Uh, and uh, that's how they attack things. Oh, yeah, they're basically the same guy, huh? Uh-huh. Uh, Sorry, so, like, I was doing comparisons. Carry on. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so Jet, uh, this is where Jet does something cool. He uh, he also has an accelerator and he dashes up to uh, one of the dinosaurs and basically just like does like a Looney Tunes, turns the missile around. <laughs> he does not uh, have an accelerator, though. Yeah, Jet does he have does. an accelerator. They, they do I, name does check. He? I'm he, given it, the impression that he fly, that he can fly up to Mach 5 and as a result has like perception uh, that uh, matches and can mimic an accelerator. Nope. Yeah, they, they, they talk about it later where like Jen when he's literally has the prototype for the accelerator. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They don't the, the the thing that makes this confusing is that they don't animate it the same as when Joe uses it or when we we see another character soon well, use it. Kind of does cuz he does like the an- instant transmission lines, right? Yeah. That's true. Yeah, it doesn't do like the the showing him in in the relative time like he's look, moving normal speed and everything. That's fine. That looks like ass every time they do it. <laughs> For what it's worth, Jet has a prototype, and it, just like how they mentioned Joe can only push the thing so far, it's actually extremely painful for Jet to use his, because it basically, like, overwhelms his senses with feedback. Mm-hmm. He's the trial they use to perfect it in Joe. Yeah. That's why you don't see him use it much. Yeah. So, he he turns this missile around on the dinosaur, blows up its head. Back in the uh, throne room... Skull thanks the commander for setting the uh, self-destruct and praises him, like, just saying it's his final action. And uh, he just uh, electrocutes him to death. You know. This comes off very different in the dub. In the dub, it appears like uh, Skull fries the guy before he can do the self-destruct, does it himself, and that the commander was really only left alive long enough to lower Joe here. You know, yeah. it, it kind of reads that way in the sub, too. Like, it, it definitely seems like, oh, he's about to press the button, and then he gets fried, and then the place blows up anyway. So it, it kind of reads that way. I read that bit way to me as well. Like uh, I said, that that Cartoon Network dub is really weird about what it's softening for broadcast. Yeah. Anyway, th- this uh, really pisses off Joe. Uh, so he, he shoots um, the ray gun at skull but it's only a projection skulls laughter rings uh, around the room and he vanishes uh so the actual character skull in the japanese um version is played, yeah. <laughs> is played by uh, norio wakamoto uh this means that uh he has really good villain laugh and uh if you didn't know this which i didn't uh he is the voice of japanese cell uh vicious no from cowboy bebop like. Uh, Kagato from Tenchi Muyo, Dio in some uh, JoJo adaptations, uh, Japanese Zenmas in Kingdom Excuse Hearts. me? He is! 
Are there uh, only like five guys that can talk in Japan? What is up with that? Dude, Norio Wakamoto is fucking famous for playing villains. Yeah, it's like him and the guy who plays Char. Who the fuck is Rugal Bernstein? Uh, Rugal Bernstein is one of the biggest bosses in fighting games, dude. King of Fighters. The only person from King of Fighters I ever think about is Geese Howard. Not Terry? No. Really? Okay. But oh, yeah, because I'm at a 45-year-old games journal on the way out. <laughs> Ouch. Stab me in the fucking heart, why don't you? <laughs> Sorry. I just never played Final Fight. It wasn't I, a game I owned. King of Fighters, man. King of Fighters, or... Isn't Final Fight and King of Fighters related? Nope. Final nope. Fight is uh, Capcom. Uh, ah. Look. You're thinking Art of Fighting. Art of Fighting. Okay, okay. All See, I'm going to say is that so King of Fighters is for boomers. <laughs> King of Fighters is what? King of Fighters is for boom boomers. It's like, you're over here enjoying your dirty Harry of video games while everyone else is playing Arxis like True Detective. No, no, I'm sorry. Uh -huh. The only true fighting game in modern times is Tekken 7. Disagree. All the Arxis yeah. shit is incredible. Hell no. I'm sorry, you're bad at video you games. Know, I, this is a fight for later, though. <laughs> I, I am very much a Tekken man. I, I just I, I just want to play Sam Show at some point. The new Sam Tekken Show is great fun. also. All I'm saying is all fighting games are infinitely better than King of Fighters. Youch. No, that is definitely... <laughs> What's that Star Wars one? Uh, Terra Kai. Masters of Terra's Kai. I would rather Terra's play Kassi. that than... I, the, than no, you don't, the, Chris. Uh, I owned it. No, you don't. I, <laughs> it's very no, bad. I, I have played it, and I'm saying I would rather play that than the contemporary King of Fighters that were coming out in that era, too. Uh, people God. forget that King of Fighters was bad for a good 20 years and is only good again now and very long ago. Mm. The entire PS1 and PS2 are King of Fighters garbage. This is a thing that I will fight with you another time because we wanted to keep at moving. Garbage. Speaking of garbage, that takes us into episode three, the See, lightning assassin. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say, like, look, it took a plague for, uh, for Brawl to be taken out of Evo. Just think about that. Good. Those games are, those games aren't fighting games either. Fuck off. <laughs> hey, you know what my favorite part of Eve Online is, or Evo Online, I guess they're calling it. It's the fact that they just straight up ethered the entire Japanese side of the fighting games industry by going, no, netcode is good, actually bitches if only you knew how many of these stupid oops we didn't see that coming recordings i've had to do this week alone editing these shows get ready for more of that this season <laughs> like the uh, fucking pony fighting game is in because it had netcode that works that's hilarious that is hilarious because all of the japanese side of the industry is like why would we want rollback code? That would be terrible. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're all Shit. fucking garbage. All of them love to make proprietary netcode, and it all fucking sucks ass. Everyone yes. that uses the open source rollback shit, your games are great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Like, I'm not going to defend that, and I actually love that they got smacked down for that hubris. Mm -hmm. Anyway, episode three, The Lightning Assassin. So, the Zero Zeros are currently ashore in Japan, laying low. 
Joe's being moody on a cliff, probably because this is the town where he was born and raised. We get a little bit of comedy as GB is writing a novel that's just self-insert fanfic where he defeats Black Ghost and woos Francois. She actually pulls some of it out of the typewriter and is like, this is garbage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, it wasn't it wasn't ready yet. They oh, are no, staying. Also, you didn't you didn't read that because uh, that. Yeah, that's definitely not you in there. Yes. Yeah. He has to deny. Who's this? Uh, who's this aristocrat you're talking about? I only know one French woman. (laughs) They are staying at the house of another scientist, Dr. Kazumi, who talks shop with Gilmore. This is the introduction of Sleepy Baby Mode, Ivan's special power, where if he ever does anything too cool, he falls into a coma for 15 days. That's not a joke. Uh (laughs) The Black Phantom is hidden in a nearby cavern where Punma and Chang are currently watching over it. Everyone's going to take shifts on recon for a bit. And Joe takes a day to just wander around the town. This is straight up the place he was living before he died as he returns to the ruins of the church fire. A cop actually sees him behind, and it's implied that his capture is very recent based on the fact that there's still caution tape around the ruins of this place. Mm -hmm. But we never get it completely clear. However, uh, the cop sees him and is like, hey, what are you doing? And Joe just accelerates away, causing the cop to shit himself in fear that he saw a ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, back at the house, Jet is the first one to get cabin fever. He thinks that they should go on the offensive since they have a warship. Joke's on him. Navies are bad. Uh, all they <laughs> need to do is 100, 100% true. The Navy has never been important in anything ever since World War II. Uh all I need to do is find Black Ghost headquarters, and first the first strike should be enough advantage. Uh, Francois doesn't fight anymore, period. Uh, GB seconds her. Uh, as Jet heads off to do it himself, Albert uh, goes to stop him and says, First of all, we have no leads whatsoever. Uh, Gilmore confirms this, even uh, as one of their top researchers. He never found a single trace of where Skull gave orders from in all his attempts to gather intel. And then Albert follows up with, we're all traitors to them. They won't forget about us anytime soon. Instead of going to them, they'll come for us. And then the power gets cut. Yeah. And uh, Kozumi uh, comes back in the house like with a, uh, I think he has a candle on. And yeah, uh, th- th- yeah this freaks out. Um, what is it? Zero, zero six. Number six. Because uh, yeah. he had just cooked a big old meal. And the, the, you know, of course, in a comedic fashion, it all adds up on his head. Um, but yeah, he says the, the house is old and the wiring's funny. Uh, but that's when lightning begins to strike outside and Francois senses something is coming. I figured uh, out what I don't like about him. I don't mind the cooking part. I don't mind that he looks like an extremely hilarious ra- racist version of a French person. What I does, do mind yeah. is that the only comedy beat his power, that he is a comedy character, but his power is only capable of generating the comedy beat where somebody holds their butt and jumps around be- like Mario. Uh-huh. That's the part I don't mind. I don't mind the food bit. I don't mind things funny, funny things happening with the food. I just mind that his only other bit is the somebody's butt got too hot. Yeah. All right. That's fair. Yeah. Well, we'll see if he branches out from there to, you know, burn other parts of other people's bodies, which again, they're cyborgs. It's like I have syphilis so hot. (laughs) (laughs) Fire crotch indeed. Anyway. uh, Yeah. So when um, 
when Jet hears that it's only one person out there, he uh, literally flies out the window over Thanks, Gilmore's boss. protests. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so they, somebody, <laughs> banged up, somebody banged on my door because they're dropping stuff off. <laughs> oh, I thought you were making a joke about Jet flying out the window. Just thanks, boss. Oh, that was very comedic, huh? Because I leaned away. Yeah, that was really everything. well timed. Oh, I'm like right back, it, so that sounds right. Leave it in, guys. Do you remember Jet? Like that supposed to be new Amazon thing that like lost a lot of money and I don't think exists anymore. No, because that that would have been very relevant in this moment if they were still present and and active, uh, at least in any capacity that anyway remembers. So the others follow him to uh, assist because uh, like this is Jet's thing is like he's the hothead who just wants to like fight and get over with. And I'm already tired of this trope because I think it's really tired. I nearly got a tattoo of Jet when I was younger because that was the kind of hotheaded shit that I was. <laughs> OK, there we go. Uh, yeah. No, and like Jet, Jet, out of all the design care of the characters is the first one that I find the most distracting because he's got like the most like Pidgeotto head I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, his, his hair is feathered and he has a giant hawk nose. Uh, he's what an American looks like. He's American. <laughs> Jet's American. Oh, that's very funny. So the, the others follow to assist and, uh, I hate that. I knew enough to almost well, actually you about how that's actually Pidgeotto head. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you did life. anyway uh so you know francois is still um a little bit more hesitant than the others as well as i'm sure well ivan is out for the count down for the count yeah um, he's in a coma. yeah he's in a coma uh gilmore and uh kozumi remain behind but uh gilmore is clearly worried that uh he's the target and is most vulnerable alone uh as a result Jet arrives first, and uh, all he hears of the target is a laugh in the sky before a bolt strikes him down. And Joe and the others arrive shortly thereafter, and Heat is warning that the enemy is on the cliff. Not that they needed to, given that there's an unearthly glow coming from that direction, and uh, the character declares that he is 0010, and the traitors have no right to live. And this dude this looks guy, so awful. He looks really dumb. Uh, he Basically, like, they took... He's got weird, like... He looks like looks... a Battle Network enemy. Like a Mega yeah. Man Battle Network villain, doesn't he? Yeah, I can see that. He's got, like, a like a, this little snibble, like, little nose that, like, kind of curls down. He's got, like, this weird hair that swoops to the side, and he... They look like they just drew lightning bolts on him. Let me think, because I... Yeah, Elecman is straight up very reminiscent of this, especially with the face lightning. 100% just looks like this guy a little bit without the dumb back thing. Well, and, and the, a different and the color scheme. And, and like he's got the little rounded nose that like dips down. That just Yeah, when you weird. said that, my brain instantly went, oh shit, that might be an intentional draw for a Lechman EXE. Uh huh. All I can remember now is how annoyingly huge of a difficulty spike that Magnet Man is. Yes. It's like massive. That first game is balanced incredibly poorly in terms of. I think of Magnet Man is in the second one. Is he? Okay. Yeah. Because you find I know the, the first one was god awful, especially that final stretch of game. I de definitely never played the first one. Uh, uh, so a you don't heal after every battle in that first one. Ooh. And b there's a gimmick where the final dungeon of the game, which is very long, and you can't save after. So like, if you're doing end game stuff or post game stuff, 
you have to leave and re-enter this place all the time, is a power plant that has had the power shut off, and you have to, every once in a while, crank a generator to keep Mega Man alive, because over time, the power is draining from your Navi. That sucks ass. It's terrible. And it does something else to your healing that I forget what, but it's terrible. Doesn't sound good at all. We should talk about Battle Network 2. I think Battle Network 2 is like, even though it's really unbalanced, like with the Gator stuff, uh, I think it has like the best, the, the, the feeling of like being extremely expansive without being too large. Because of like how the Undernet and the entire post, uh, the Wiley Net stuff works out. Yeah, we want to do one of them before it splits into two games because those are where it really starts to suck in terms of padding. Mm-hmm. I do think three is probably the best one, but two feels is like my favorite for sure. I'd argue six. Never. I stopped playing it after them? the one with the terrible tactical battle game. That was five. Yeah. I think six brings it home really well. Ever, everyone keeps telling me that. But also, I still don't believe it because so far the only people to have told me this are Justin and you. Reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) So back in Cyborg 009, um, here's another dub note where they are setting Gilmore up as way more innocent. Who Uh, the fuck is Gilmore? Oh, the robot. Not the robot. uh, The the, the scientists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, At Kozumi's house... In Japanese, Gilmore's just like, I knew he'd come when he sees the thunder. In English, he just has a bad feeling about this. It's really wild how much they're trying to make this ambiguous character, like, unilaterally good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tenkun wipes the floor with everyone in a row, deflecting bullets and ray gun beams, destroying rocks thrown at him, and just being a sniper with his lightning bolts. Finally, only Joe is left standing, and as he activates his accelerator, Ten matches him moment for moment, keeping up with every step in his own speed before blasting him out of mode with another bolt. He gloats that all he had to do was just look at their data in the Black Ghost files to know what he needed to beat, and declares himself the older brother from hell. Which, isn't he he the younger brother? (laughs) We don't know that yet. Oh. But he's relatively higher. He is their older brother. Well, no, you're right. I'm dumb. Yeah, he is. He is younger. <laughs> he is yeah. their younger brother. Uh-huh. Like, that's why I'm so... When he said that, I'm like, really? <laughs> well, he's saying it in terms of, I'm the stronger one, so yeah. that's why. Yeah. Like, I'm your relative, but I'm bigger and badder. <laughs> Joe makes one last attempt to accelerate or duel the guy, but unlike Ten, Joe doesn't know he's got a hard limit to how long he can stay at that speed before it shuts him down. And cornered, Joe uses his special move one more time, jumping off a fucking cliff into the ocean. He does save Francois from getting blasted because Francois tries to negotiate with him, right? She tries to be like, why would you do this to your own kind? We're we're like family. And he goes, no, The scene was fucking unbearable with the dub, by the way. All the gravitas of that negotiation sucked out. It's because... They're really pushing the, you've got to have feelings, and in the, the text is actually way less melodramatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, again, the second time that uh, Joe has saved Francois from getting hurt, I, I assume this is going to continue to happen. So, just because you're all talking about this now, um... The two of them have a bond being the closest in age, but Ishinomori was also very explicit that they should never be romantic. 
Like, it's just partners and friends and never, this is the one destined love story. Yeah, because it, it... And I like that. I was primed for that because Joe just looks like, you know, an anime dude. And yeah. she just looks like, you know, attractive anime girl. And everybody else is so extra cartoonish. You think, okay, they're going to put these two together. And to some yeah. degree, they do. She has uh, like she weirdly has like extra hair definition uh and there's particularly like a frame where she's like kneeling on her like on her knees but also up on her hands and like there's enough extra detail in the hair compared to usual on like just like a C tier hentai character is what that <laughs> looked like. Mhm. I can definitely see that complaint and she also is one of the people they're most guilty of doing zoom ins on a face and it's very clear that this is just a manga panel traced. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like you can actually see the outlines from Dude, brush strokes on. You some gotta of stop bringing closeness. shit up like that, otherwise I'll never be able to enjoy anime again. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's another thing I've never noticed before, but will notice forever now. <laughs> Look, uh, I am an animation nerd. This kind of shit sticks out to me like a sore thumb. I forget I that normal humans don't have this problem. I don't think about the animation at all when I'm watching anime. I mean, okay. I, I've only started noticing it because people explain to me, oh, this is good animation. This is bad animation. Usually I only notice if it's really egregious. Yeah, I will only call out the wildest shit like the blocky 8-bit wall. And that yeah. comes down to like, I don't think Matt and I are medium fans. Ether <laughs> uh, me harder, why don't you, asshole? What? I'm just saying, you're like not a fan of the medium, just in oh, I, in oh, works. I thought you were talking about the fucking <laughs> blog site. <laughs> oh, it's like Jesus! It's like, wasn't that a TV show? <laughs> uh, also, yes, that upcoming game from that game studio that's never made anything good. Look, Chris, it's gonna be medium. It'll be fine. Anyway, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs> Uh, we get. I'm already mad at your fucking shitty jokes from that joke about what if the spoon was a fork because they're in Japan. Get it? God. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. We get one more glimpse of Joe's flashbacks as he's KO'd, hitting the water. The context added to the dead priest in the church is that Joe was an orphan abandoned there, and he grew up under the pastor's care. We see his mother drop him on the steps and expire. Hell yes. Yeah. Something that's never stated outright, but is implied in his origins, Joe is half Japanese, and given the time period and his name, it's pretty likely his father was an American soldier who knocked up a Japanese woman and either left or died. His mom died delivering him to the steps of said church, and Joe's past fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. Before Ten can deliver a killing blow, a rainstorm begins, and he calls the Zero Zeros lucky and flees. Everyone but Albert and Francois are unconscious, and we just end the episode. That takes us into episode four, Duel to the Death. The next episode starts with a recap of the prior episode, but it's in the form of uh, GB writing it in his novel. Uh, he then rips it to shreds and decides that the truth is a terrible ending. Um, the, the cyborgs all brainstorm a little, uh, but aside from he won't fight in the rain, they basically have no fucking clue what's going on. Um, as well as Joe has been unconscious for a week, uh, Ivan is still asleep, Francois and Gilmore have been looking after Joe, but no one can get him to wake up, uh, pushing his accelerator so far basically uh, wrecked his body like all his joints and shit were loose, you can see in the last episode. Mm -hmm. um, the rest of the crew continue brainstorming, but 
uh, still have like really no like foundation of a plan other than we're going to hold out as long as it continues raining. So uh, when Joe's fever breaks, the first thing he sees is Francois and uh, she fills him in that everyone is all right and that he was the uh, one who got hit the hardest uh, as well. We learn part of why she was staying by his side uh, because, uh, you know, she felt guilty. Uh, she said, if I hadn't tried to get through to him, you wouldn't have had to. And then he cuts her off and says, you were right, though. Uh, and this leads into the first bit of Francois's backstory. Uh, she had an older brother, Jean, who protected her uh, when in sh- when she got into quite a lot of fights with boys because she was a brutish tomboy, afraid of being seen as girly. Uh, but she was apparently sturdy enough to win uh, any fight as long as it wasn't with like a bigger, older kid. Um, Joe talks more about growing up at the orphanage and uh then he uh steps in it when he uh says uh, so hey if we stop in france sometime you can see your brother again and she says uh she is um like the first four double zeros were the first generation they were captured and augmented around the close of world war ii so francois has been a cyborg uh, a lot longer than joe has been alive uh i we don't we don't know what what time is it relative to World War II. It's roughly 2000s is where they changed the adaptation to. OK, OK. So like, yeah, I, in the show, I've had no context for this, especially because like if it's around the 2000s and people are still using typewriters. Uh, to be fair, Dr. Kazumi is very much an older, like set in his ways guy. I, I would say, yeah, that was going to be my no prize answer to that was this is just a Kazumi thing because he's. It, his characterization's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, he's just like an old guy who's there for like comic relief and the occasional medical science breakthrough. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Tech wasn't there at the time. Uh, she was captured, harvested, whatever term they want to use. So uh, they made some alterations and then put the four of them on ice until science was progressed enough so that they could actually wake them back up. So this is the first major retcon that Cyborg Soldier does to allow for some of the characters' origins and still take place in modern day. Originally, all of them were just captured between the 40s to 60s. And mm-hmm. like the first few were kept there longer while they worked on the tech, but mm-hmm. uh, they didn't have this freeze. And the yeah. thing that changed everything is Gilmore came along and basically made the breakthroughs that drove the Cyborg Project. That mm. seems bad. Well, the because the that just means them? they've no like the original setup where because when did the original story supposedly take place? Around the sixties. Okay, I was gonna say because it seems bad that they just hung out for forty years before rebelling. No, um, they they captured the first few in the dying days of the war because it's like, yeah, a lot of people were going missing at that point. Is that additive then? Because that just seems like an additional complication to have this cryotech thing. Well, that's the thing. The the cryo is the retcon I talked about. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Do they ever make anything additive out of it? Because that just seems weird. So the thing is, they wanted to adapt the work. And they start changing some things for the time period. Um, One of them is that a major arc in the original stuff was called the Vietnam arc. Because Uh guess what was becoming the hottest conflict in the world at the time? 
And now it has been changed to something very different with a lot of the same beats. So we'll get to that in a few episodes. Okay, so, no, I was merely adding if you thought that change was additive or not. Oh, um, I think it's basically just so they don't have to rewrite half of the cast's backstory. Okay. Yeah, that seems like a... Because, like, you you see yeah, Albert's like... next episode, that's really hard to do if you go, ah, this happened in the 80s. I mean, like, I guess you could say, I mean, it is, like... That's World what I'm War, saying, but why not just Germany, make it the period piece, or... right? Like, why... Why add the additional complication to a story that already worked? I basically think it's just a way of saying the themes of this still fit modern day rather than letting people go. Ah, but these are all the this is all history. There you go. Yeah, that makes it worth it to me immediately. I mean, yeah. like, I, I think that at the very least, this introduces the same sort of thing that we saw in like lightning returns where some people are like sort of thank God you didn't say Captain America. I, I I wouldn't know enough about Captain America to say that. I just like the oh yeah you're right getting frozen in ice and being yeah no I'd like it's more of like the the being sort of ageless out of time kind of thing, which is like you know with like zero zero one is stuck being a child forever, which is yeah horrifying and terrible, uh but also just you know being someone who is th- they're kind of like stuck that in does this bump family because that dude explicitly needs bottle fed, yeah. Yeah, and you think with the technology, they would have been like, let's just make the baby like self-sufficient in a way that isn't so baby-like and just be in a tiny I body. thought you were going to go the other way where one of them like RoboCop style extruded baby food out of their body. Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh no, so, no thank you. Uh, again, <laughs> it's breastfeeding but different. <laughs> we'll get to Ivan's origins. I hands down ivan is the one who got the rawest fucking deal if you ask me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah like it's the kind of thing where like i think in a modern show uh if, if they had a similar beat like at the end they'd give him a new normal bot like you know adult body <laughs> but like you are normal now and it's like oh it's still not great I really really yeah now <laughs> i really want to get to the final recording look, holy look. crap uh, look, Fletch, he's really at least 60 years old, so it's really okay. <laughs> no, no, you don't even know yet. I don't even know. Um, yeah, but anyway, Joe is horrified uh, because he starts putting together the math in his head, and uh, Francois simply cuts him off and say, uh, even if John is alive, I have no intention to seeing him. She she also does a place of like, oh, you wouldn't think I'd be an old woman, right? You know, looking like this, uh, which is kind of cute. But So the in the original series, she's only a year older than him technically that's the same thing with the cryo but yeah joe is the youngest barely that's why they're so close together okay yeah like i i think i started to get like vague sense of like not quite it's hard to say like motherly vibes with francois because she's being framed as motherly throughout these episodes anyway because of zero zero one i think what you mean is she's a real lisa lisa <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. The idea of yeah, she looks younger than than she is, but she ha- and she has like sort of some maternal instincts, but like or you know towards this you know feelings towards this other character, but you don't really know what's the deal. The back in the main room, Gilbor is making the case that much like Shogi, the zero zeros can't just take number ten on one by one, and if they figure out how to collaborate and combine their abilities, he has no chance. Jed is the first one to crap on this because he is Jet. And he kind of gives away a little too much about himself as he starts running his mouth. 
Are you kidding? We call each other by numbers, and we don't even know the first thing about each other. I couldn't trust anyone else. You know, I only trust me. I couldn't trust my parents or God or anybody but this guy. And Francois actually starts showing a little of that spark that we haven't seen yet, and she's just ripping into him. You're going to say that right after Joe put his life on the line for all of us, eight strangers? And Albert starts talking a little bit, too. And he says, you know, sometimes uh, people don't mix. It's better that way. Nobody gets close. It means you don't have long, hard goodbyes. This is terrible in the dub. He just says, you know, bad leadership. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. It, that dub is so bad. That's terrible. And mm. then the clouds break and G Jr. just interrupts everything with three words. He is coming. Jesus, you don't watch, you fucking pervert. Uh, <laughs> Oten has clearly been watching the cyborgs because the next shot of him is approaching approaching the Kazumi's house when Jet intercepts and says, it's just me, everyone else ran. And Oten says is, you should have joined them. It would have been a brief moment more of life. In the house, Joe's trying to get up and Gilmore pushes him back onto the bed with ease. Uh, you're barely functional. If you go out there now, you only drag everyone else down. Defeated, Joe just lies back and surrenders. And uh, the next few moments are uh, everyone proving Gilmore right. Uh, Francois is operating his comms, tipping everyone off to Ten's movements, with Jet drawing his attention. Is this where they cut to the forest? This is in the yeah. forest, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, there's like a uh, like a lighting change that makes it seem like this is later in time in a different place. Uh, it's weird because, yeah, it suddenly goes to sunset lighting, but we've we've had clouds all day, so it's kind of hard to tell what time it is. Yeah. Uh, Francois operating his comms, tipping everyone off to Ten's movements while Jet is drawing his uh, attention and taking uh, blows to lure him from trap into trap. Uh, there are flames from Chang, and then uh, fl- like the first trap is uh, flames from Chang, and then he uh, flies him into the sky where uh, Albert can j- basically gets him to, like, he grabs onto him, uh, taking a bunch of uh, bolts as he does so, but Albert also just blasts him with ordnance while he's held there in the sky. Uh, after being knocked down from the uh, bombardment, he then lands in the water where GB, disguised as a dolphin, swims by to test the theory he can't use his powers underwater. Uh, Pyunma and G Jr. take him on directly and offer him an ultimatum, leave now or drown alone. Alone is the worst word, though. Because uh, all of a sudden, the blast comes from elsewhere in the ocean, sending them flying. Uh, you see, black ghost scientists sort of figured out how the water is a giant weakness of this model, and they made a countermeasure. We've only been seeing... Uh, is this really zero zero ten or just zero? He is zero zero ten. The That's fucking stupid. Are... I know. There's a reason that you notice I've been cutting those as much as possible in the writing. Oh, so yeah. fucking stupid. I missed one. Okay. Yes. Uh, we've only been seeing uh, 10 minus his dynamo counterpart 10 plus rolls up and everything goes to hell. Uh, luckily, the cyborgs assaults did damage 10 minus a bit. So when the uh, brothers uh, attack the cyborgs, they are left battered, but not dead because of their weakened state. Unfortunately, they are on their backs after this. And the dub adds the tremendously chilling line here. Have you ever experienced a microwave from inside the oven? Mm hmm. Uh, but also, it's impossible to take seriously because of the voice it is delivered in. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's okay. It's like a voice out of Freakazoid is what it is. They do You're not wrong when you say it's like Snarf. Yeah, it's like a Freakazoid villain. Like, never meant to be taken seriously, ever. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they also are drawn in a way that it's hard for you to take them seriously. Yeah, 100%. I just spent <laughs> two episodes with these fuck boys. <laughs> uh, 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 so at this point, of course, Joe rolls up and uh, both of the 10 twins decide that uh, the guy who is the least damaged is the bigger threat than the wounded ones. And so they give chase with him. And Joe's got a plan. Uh, he's leading them over the power lines, um, you know, using the accelerator as a, as a bit of a head start to head towards a power plant, uh, an electricity plant. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the other two do catch up and surround him. And presumably, uh, they've wiped him out with the, uh, you know, they do their little uh, spinny dynamo attack. Uh, we see then uh, if they, uh, we do also notice they, they almost bump into each other at one point. They're like just walking in the same direction and they almost uh, touch and uh, they almost blow up. And uh, they, they say, oh, that's close. So we, we find out that their weakness is uh, just contacting each other. Um, Meanwhile, uh, Joe was uh, safe because uh, 001 woke up and uh, moved him via uh, teleport while he is unconscious, because apparently that's a thing uh, number one could do. Fuck Um, you. You could have just moved him to the whole group at the beginning. There were a lot of times where that could have been useful. But uh, supposedly, uh, you know, Ivan says that uh, I can't I can only use this on unconscious things because I currently don't have the power or the control in order to do it with conscious people. So. Joe then takes the fight inside a, a nearby, you know, inside the power station. And um, he, he's sort of stringing them along, like luring them in loops. And he manages to uh, get the two of them to collide each other, which immediately uh, they release, like, like, discharge, like, a huge amount of electricity into each other and uh, destroy the entire station and much of the uh, electricity grid. They just explode. And, There's uh, one part I love here that I forgot to put in the notes. Yeah. Which is... As three cyborgs with accelerators are fucking racing around this station, oh, every single human is evacuating and going, what the fuck is everything doing here? Uh-huh. Yeah, because they have no idea what's going on. Yeah, there's just electrical discharges and things are bursting and mm-hmm. everyone and the dub, he just goes, the grid is under attack. I'll deal with this tomorrow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it because if if this happened at my job, I would one thousand percent being long lunch. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, fellas, is it gay to hold your brother's hand while you burn to death? <laughs> I don't know. Like, are are you like? Is it like a cupping thing? And you know, big spoon, little spoon. Like, how are we talking? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Leave it to the Masato's hand touch with sexual truth or to be gross about it. Uh huh. <laughs> look there's a very difference between like you know a handshake and then fingers intertwined chris like there's mm. th- th- there are different kinds of handshakes isn't that how you handshake normally <laughs> the, the thing no. that he's speaking past is joe is the only one close enough to see them before the rebel collapses around the bodies and in death the two twins are actually holding hands for the first time and he he is extremely bummed out that these two were brothers and they could never touch each other which means we've avoided the incest for now. Uh, I can guarantee you there is <laughs> only one case where that might be a thing in the series, and that's depending on how you read it. Okay, because I, you know what? It's just so hard to find an anime without incest in it. It's just surprisingly hard. Yep. Ugh. Uh, so the, uh, the, the team reunites and they decide to head home, and that is the end of the episode. And that will bring us into our finale this week, 
Episode 5, Tears of Steel. This is beginning with another flashback. This time, Albert's misfortunes. It is post-World War II and Germany is divided, with Albert living in the eastern half. He's resourceful, though, and he's got a plan. He's going to take a Mack truck and cross the border, delivering animals for the zoo. He almost avoids inspection when he asks if the border guard wants to see nothing but tarantulas, scorpions, and cobras, but at the last minute, something sparks a memory with the guy and he orders Albert to pull over. At this point, Albert goes for broke, flooring it through the gate, weaving the truck to avoid fire from the gun emplacements in the DMZ. And it's not the guns that get him in the end, it's the rockets. The truck flips, parts of it catch fire. Incredibly mauled by the truck robotics, Albert crawls to the back to check on his actual cargo, his wife Hilda. She is about to die, obviously. She had no seatbelts, the crates and cargo disguising her position have crushed her, and she expires in his arms, reacting to their making it to West Germany with, now we can be happy, now we can be free, as her form goes limp. Mm-hmm. And there's, of course, like a, an anime shine on the uh, on the wedding ring, in case you missed it. <laughs> well, he wakes up before we see any more of that. I don't know if this comes up in the anime later or not, but um, that truck explodes almost directly after that scene. Albert oh, yeah. has the yeah. least human body remaining of anyone. And from inside the uniform, he pulls out a battered ring on the chain. It was her wedding band. Mm-hmm. And it's dented on one side, like, yeah, pretty, it's... in a pretty gnarly fashion. So back in the present, Gilmore has invented some portable scanners for the team. Uh, and they begun making a habit of patrolling the surrounding areas. In order to be ready for the next assault, nobody thinks they're free yet. Francois is pushing herself to her limits as well with her senses, and Gilmore has to urge her to rest when she stumbles back in, exhausted. Uh, she has functionally been using her powers for, since like the very beginning of the series, which is basically like a week at this point. Uh, Around two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when something massive begins coming in towards two of the uh, two of the cyborgs. If you've ever seen the old Johnny Quest series, what the fuck? Oh, okay. Uh, the only way to explain uh, what the mecha that assaults G Junior and Punma is is that it's a uh, one of Doc- one of one of Doctor Zin's spiders got fat. Uh, <laughs> uh, alternatively, it is uh, the Cookie Robots from Despicable Me, but larger. I have not seen that, so I'll take your word. It's like a Mentos with, like, arms and legs and a bunch of, like, circular windows along the edge. No, it just looks like that one angel, but a robot. Yeah. 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 This is a design that's been in a lot of things, but especially with the legs, I just think of Dr. Zen spiders. Also, it shoots uh, webs that uh, immobilize the cyborgs, so get fucked. Yeah, it's it's like a bomb that, like, blows up and then spreads, like, goo down. It's like Uh, foam. I actually like that as a weapons platform, this thing is not designed for pinpoint anything, but just fuck it, let's cover an area. Mm -hmm. It fires off the web in, I guess it might be foam, but I call it web, Uh, by firing a rocket into the sky that just bursts in all directions. Yeah, yeah, and like, it just, it's pretty much just uh, like area control. Yeah, which is cool. Um. So the initial battle uh, doesn't go so great. Uh, Pyunma and G Junior are out instantly. Albert is uh, trapped by uh, by catching his leg. 
And uh, the others arrive just in time to distract and uh, rescue those three. Uh, there's a hilarious dub mistake here when uh, Joe grabs uh, Chang. Uh, Joe's mouth is moving and Chang's uh, VA is giving the instructions, which always fun. Uh, so the spider is 0011, who instantly wonders why Albert looks human if he's also a black ghost cyborg. This, well, at least a brief version of this dude's backstory, which is uh, Eleven had been promised that if he kills uh, the other cyborgs, he'll get his human form again and he'll be able to go back to his wife and child. Because if he tries to go back to his wife and child now, they will reject him. And uh, that's very sad. And obviously, the first thing you think of, like, yeah, even if he did it, that's definitely not happening. Yep. Um, Yeah. So Jet and Albert... um, corner it and get in some damage with a rocket uh because like they, it has this um you know those little windows along the the edge of it on the outer edge uh and what what happens is it'll like open up a portal and then like a gun will come out and either shoot lasers or shoot off the um like the bombs so uh what they're trying to do is they're trying to shoot those turrets and uh blow it up that way um but anyway, they, they do some damage to it, and um, Albert has the chance to shoot it. Eleven gives a story, and uh, Jet's like, why don't why can't we just kill it? Why don't you just kill it? He's, and Albert's hesitating. Uh, so Jet then goes, I'll kill it, and then Albert decides, uh, Albert knocks his gun and ends up uh, blowing up the cliffside, which then puts uh, Eleven into the water. And uh, while it's falling down, Eleven fires a rocket, and it goes up into the clouds, it explodes, and it looks like rain has started to fall. Back at Kazumi's house, the scientists are trying to figure out what to do with uh, the guys who got trapped in the polymer. In theory, they're fine without air for, you know, a little bit. But they decide to pull Chang out and say, you know, you could you could probably get through this with your flames. I don't think this thing was designed for heat. He gets G Jr. out with ease, but uh, he thinks he gets a little overconfident at the end, roasting Punma some. For what it's worth, uh, an arc in these early episodes is that these guys have barely really begun to use their abilities in anything but on or off. So this is the start of everyone mm-hmm. honing their powers a little. But also, why are they using flames inside the house? They could have yeah, done that this is outside. I also thought that, especially because of the fact that they put these two onto what's like a steel tarp in the living room. Uh-huh. It's just like, they're going to burn the house down. Like, that's that's going to be the payoff, is they're going to burn the house down. But no, he just, uh, he just uh, singes uh, Pyunma a bit. And yeah, this is what Chris was complaining about earlier with the, ow, my butt, ow, ow, ow. Mm-hmm. Uh, underwater... Eleven is just sulking and graping. My life's unfair. I should have my wife. I should have my kid. And this is the point where Black Ghost decides the carrot is no longer enough and uses the stick, which they will later say is burning out a bunch of circuits and just turning it into full computer control. Yeah, he just basically burns out the part where the person lives. Yeah. When Albert goes out on patrol to relieve Joe, the two start talking for a minute, and Albert feels for the kid and his hesitation in the earlier combats. He's like, yeah, I I get it. I know it's not smart to think of our foes as people with feelings and lives, but I just can't turn that off. I can't be the living weapon they tried to make. So that takes us to dinner, and as dinner is served, right as everybody takes a couple bites, uh, they all begin collapsing around the table, save for Francois. 
Um, now that the proper amount of time has passed, Eleven just flings it itself out of the sea and goes speeding towards the pl- uh, towards the place. Uh, I like that he uh, moves through the water like a giant top. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of just being slid across the panel, they actually animate how he moves. Um, yeah. Joe and Albert see it uh, streak by, and Joe accelerates to warn everyone with Albert bringing up the rear. Uh, clearly not that much faster, since Albert arrives literally like 10 seconds after. Yeah, uh, I actually note that later. Mm-hmm. Kazumi diagnoses the condition, looking at the uh, fallen cyborgs, and Jet realizes that it must have come from the rain. That also means that Joe and Albert are going to be affected, though. Uh, in fact, Joe arrives in time to save Jet from a laser blast and then immediately eats shit. And then Albert, uh, very co- plot conveniently, shows up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this oh. is where Jet tells him about the toxic. Uh, yes, okay, sorry, I just lost my place on the screen. And uh, Jet catches him up on the toxic rainfall. The others have all been moved underground to the Black Phantom, and Kazumi begins trying to synthesize an antidote. As he works, he uh, pokes fun at Gilmore a bit. Uh, they're not just an experiment to you anymore, are they? Sounds like my wife talking to me about this fucking cat. Uh, <laughs> sounds like he sounds like he picked up a family. Uh, and then Gilmore just says, "Nothing is finer than a family bound by trust and faith in one another." Uh, my guy has a very short memory from the last episode, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, on the surface. Uh, at the moment, only Albert is still mobile, even though he's starting to slow down. Uh, and uh, to some degree, that makes sense because of how little of his body is still uh, biological. Uh, it's something like Fletch noted. I, it wasn't something that I yeah, thought of but uh, he's, without that context. But we're yeah, going to sense. see him later uh, getting maintenance. His body is just straight. He's basically just a head and maybe a few organs. And he's got this blocky, polygonal body that's all mechanical. Yeah. Yeah, but suffice it to say that he is the most capable at the moment who is still a fighter. Uh, The problem is, though, uh, Eleven is nothing more than a computer-driven killbot now. And barely affected or not, uh, Albert's losing fine motor control, uh, fumbling his gun and being barely able to dodge. And after one final appeal to the robot's humanity, which uh, ultimately fails, uh, Albert gives up and uh, tries to desperately make an attempt to stop it. Uh, He palms his gun with both his hands and uh, he hooks the ring uh, on the necklace around his uh, neck. He hooks the ring on the trigger with his teeth and fires it just when uh, Eleven opens up its armor uh, for a kill shot. And uh, it connects, and before it dies, Eleven turns from its uh, it turns its like red eyes, like the little the little portals were red blue when we first see it. It turns red when it went murderous. Uh, it turned into the back into the earlier blue, and then it flies up into the sky and uh, detonates away from anyone who is still living. And Albert whispers his wife's name before everything goes black. So the next morning, Albert. Uh, closes out a plot where Kazumi has been trying to find anyone who will play Go with him. He he keeps going, nah, I, I gotta go on patrol. No, we're currently under attack. And the two of them are just sitting out on the porch talking. Albert's apologizing for the damage to his house, and Kazumi shrugs it off. A house is only worth as much as the people living in it. And, you know, at half the size, this place is now the perfect uh, perfect fit for me alone. Unlike this building, if people are destroyed, you can't rebuild them. I'm much happier to have you all alive and half a house than 
have mm. any casualties. Yeah. And Albert. then he loses the game a go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Albert actually wins the game and Kazumi is an incredibly sore loser. And he's like, yeah, we've got to we've got to play this again. How could you do this? Gilmore can't beat me and he's much smarter than you. What the hell is this? And Albert's just like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, let's let's do as many as you want, old timer. And mm. that's where we close out the episode. So with that done, what are we all thinking of this so far? Pretty good. Ah. Uh, I, I think it, it definitely improves in terms of just execution quality as it goes on. Like that first episode, really, like I watched it that first episode and then I didn't watch any more of it for like a couple more days. And it like that first Buddy, episode, that first really accelerator dry. where they indicate it by the entire screen just being an awful shade of blue. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's 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 it looks in yeah. terribly cheap and it, it it's still like isn't. Every now and then, like you'll see something that looks really rough, but I think the you last think couple the episodes. You think the pilot would look nicer, not worse, because you're trying to get picked up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You don't have that with anime pilots. You kind of yeah. do, though, right? Like Bebop, Ava, everything I can think of starts with one or one or two banger episodes, and then things look like shit for a while where they get geared up from what well, was no, clearly no. like a test run. I mean, you don't do a test pilot to bring it to the network it's you got picked up and then you have more budget you make the first ones good to hook people mm. and then you start cutting the corners mm. yeah because this one was picked up by like a major japanese broadcast station yeah. right like, sony yeah. sony yeah, yeah, and tv sony tokyo thing. aired this yeah but yeah i i think like it's starting to show some interesting things by the end you know i it's really hard for me to sort of get a sense of like how big of a like diversion or you know this was compared to stuff of the era uh but it's it it's interesting i want to see where it goes but so next episode we're gonna get out of the direct adaptations we close out the assassin's arc and start doing some anime original one-offs i think that's where you guys are going to really draw a beat on it because that's where they start drawing on character stories and just going, hey, what if we turn this into a drama for a little? All right. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of like never really here for like an anime that's just an action anime without like good character stuff, which is why Black Lagoon was especially painful because it's like halfway there. Good news. Um. They're half adapting old stuff, but this is where they start getting unique with it because of the fact that they've changed the settings to the modern time. Good. So uh, the closest equivalent to this in the manga is something that's just called the Wandering Arc, where they're trying to figure out what the fuck their place is in the world. Mm -hmm. And here they go some different directions with it. I I will say uh, we didn't mention it, but I think in this last episode is the first time we saw them in civilian clothing. Uh, or maybe it was like two episodes into this. Uh, and yeah, episode like, I, three, because we see Joe walking around in pants. Yeah, yeah, but like I, I, I kind of like some of the designs. Like Albert's definitely got the, you know, the the black turtleneck, you know, and slacks look that just very, you know, just reads very like, cool European to me. Like uh, Jet has a has a cool jacket, you know. So some of those designs are pretty good. Uh, the other, you know, the comedic guys shrug. <laughs> I, I don't really know. <laughs> How I feel about six and seven. Yeah, there's meat on their bones. I, I, we'll at least there. at least six can cook good food like that food looks delicious and sounds delicious. Yeah, you're I, hard at Tabata. 
I look forward to seeing your take after next week. Because, yeah, this first bit is a little... I don't know that I would have done the uh, the plus and minus thing as two episodes myself, but mm-hmm. I also imagine that would have been a really tight fit. Yeah. And jo- eh. Joe is really disappointed that they couldn't touch each other. Like, really disappointed. <laughs> like, he says it the next episode, too. He's just like, it's just so sad. It's just like, dude. I mean, I get what it. You didn't you have to... any siblings, but dude. What if you had to live your whole life leaving room for Jesus, Matt? I would be very sad indeed. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, we will be back in two weeks with episodes six through ten and actually get around to the characters naming themselves on screen. Hooray. Pay us money, fuckos. Yep. If you have heard this, it means you've also heard the preview episode we put out of some of the Patreon content for the Ideon season. Go to our Patreon at tentacle.pro for a convenient link. And you can get extra episodes of this show, as well as plenty of other things, on the Pitch Drop Network. Yeah, like Lightning Strikes Thrice, where we're in the uh, we're in the middle of Shadow Hearts Covenant now. Uh, we'll probably we're actually making pretty good progress on that, and we're gonna probably finish that by the by like midsummer, and then it's Xenosaga time. We're good. See ya. Bye. <laughs>